ready for the word today. Amen. Amen. All right. I want you to jump over to Exodus chapter 36, two through seven. We kicked the year off talking about God, the rewarder. And now we're going into a series that we've called this house. And I really was stirred in my spirit to talk about the two houses that every believer should be building. All right. Two houses. Y'all should be building two houses. Number one, you should be building your house. Okay. And number two, every believer has a responsibility to build the house of God. It is our father's house that we build. And so those are the two things we're talking about right now. We've been talking about, we started last week in the book of Joshua where Joshua makes the declaration. He tells the people of God, listen, you could serve the gods of your forefathers or you could serve the gods that, that, you know, are on the other side of the river, which talks about territorial gods. And, and he says, you could serve those gods, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so that's where we're started. That's where we started off talking about what that entails. And today I want to look at Exodus 36 verse two, and we're going to jump right into this. It says this, then Moses called, uh, I'm sorry, that was an offering scripture. Let me, I'm sorry, I tell you the wrong scripture. First Kings nine, let's go to there. First Kings nine, one through nine. It says this, and it came to pass. When Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. And I have consecrated this house. Everybody say this house, which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart, in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons, listen to this, at all, turn from following me and do not keep my commands and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence that's here. You promise us when two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. You also said that when we praised you, Lord, we would enthrone you with our praise, which literally means we build a throne in the spirit that you come and sit on. Father, you're here. Your presence is here. And Father, we ask that you would speak to your people today. 
that they would hear your voice over my voice. Father, as we lean into the scriptures, let the word of God pierce our hearts and change us. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we've been talking about this house. And the premise of this verse is from where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bringing it into the New Testament last week, we talked about what Jesus taught in the parables. When he said there are two kinds of people in in the world right now. There are those that build their house upon the rock and those that build their house upon the sand. Now understand this, both are building a house. One's building it on the solid rock of God's word. The other is building a house, but it's on the sinking sand. And the Bible says that when a storm comes, only one house stands. And it's the, stand, it's the house that is built on God's word. And, and, and the understanding of that is to make sure that you see that you could be building a house, but the house you're building is not going to be able to withstand the storms that are coming. And see, many times we read the scripture and we think, oh, this is a comparison to the, to the people of God and the people of the world. The people of the world are the ones building on the sand and the people of God are building on the rock. But that's not what I've seen in the last 30 years. See, the difference between the two in the parable is that Jesus said both heard the word, but only one did the word they heard. The one that built on the rock was the one that took the word that they heard and built on it. The one that built on the sinking sand was the one that only heard. And what what provoked me to get this series together is I see too many people thinking that hearing the word is enough. It's not. You got to do what you hear. Can I get an amen on that? You got to hear the word and then go and perform the word. You got to hear it and do it. But we see too many Christians in America that go to church and they simply hear a word with no, nothing on the inside of them to leave and go do the word that they hear. And so what happens is they build a house, but the house can't stand because storms will come. And when the storms come, our, our lives of many Christians, they can't stand the storm. And so what do we see? We see marriages that crumble in the storm, even though the couple went to church every Sunday. We see financial ruin hit Christian businesses, even though they were in church every Sunday and even serving at their church. What's the difference? You got to be a hearer and a doer. Can I get an amen on that? And we talked about that last week. It's not enough just to know the word and hear the word. You got to get out and do the word. We also talked about last week, the warnings that Jesus gave us when he said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And we talked about the importance of building your house around family values, values that your family subscribes to. In the last 50 years, what we've seen the devil do is he has attacked the family structure. And so many of us have been raised in homes with no father and only a mother or only a father and no mother. Or maybe you have a father and then you have a stepfather and then you have a mother and then you have a stepmother. And then you, ha- you, you get the picture. It's been, it's, it's, it's been changed. It's been fragmented. And what's also been fragmented is identity. And see, identity always comes from the father in a home. It's even that way in science. Where do, they, where do they say that the sex of a child comes from? It is determined in the father. And so when there is a breakdown of family, there's a breakdown of identity. And that's why we have a generation that doesn't know who they are. We have a generation that... Just because they have male genitalia, they can decide to be a female and not know what they are. Even though, you know, they have the plumbing, come on somebody, they could still say, well, I want to be a woman or I'm this and I'm that. And nobody knows what they are because there's a lack of identity. Well, can I tell you something? There's also a lack of identity amongst Christians. 
Christians don't have the values that Jesus and the word of God tells us that we should have. Many Christians still have the values that they get in the culture. And they've allowed their favorite rappers to give them values. Oh, come on, somebody. You know it's true. Their favorite movie star, their favorite music person, their favorite, uh, oh, now it's, you know, online influencers. And we get our values from these people. And and, and we, we jump in our cars and we drive around our little kids listening to our favorite rapper call women the B word. Come on, somebody. You know it's true. We walk around and we, we quote lyrics in front of our kids that have swear words and, and all this kind of stuff. And then we call ourselves Christians. See, folks, what I'm trying to tell you is this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which means this. It means that as a man, I have to establish. And as a, a single mom, you need to establish what it is your family believes. What is it they believe about life? about sex, about the opposite sex, about marriage, about money. We need to establish what it means to be a household that serves God. Amen? Amen. And Jesus warns us, don't follow the crowd. Because the crowd is walking down a path that leads to destruction. He breaks it down and says, you got to understand the path that I'm telling you to go down, it's narrow. Ain't a lot of homies on that line. Ain't a lot of friends on that line. It's lonely. He says it's narrow. Another other thing he says about it, it's difficult. It's hard. He says, but when you're on the hard and difficult and narrow and sometimes lonely road, that's the road that leads to life. But we got people, we just want to follow the crowd, man. We just want to follow the crowd. Oh, I go to church, but I still think like everybody in my neighborhood that don't know Jesus. See, that's what we got to change. We got to understand that this decision to serve God is a generational decision. Can I I get an amen from you? It's a generational decision. And Jesus warned us again when he told the people, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he's trying to tell us there's a distinction in those that say they're Christians and those that actually are. And And he goes on to say, he'll tell some of us, Some of us. He is writing to the believers here. He is speaking to us, the people of God, when he says, some of you will come and say, Lord, Lord, I did great works. I served at the church. I even went on missions trips. See, the world world is not saying those things. They don't do those things. But there'll be some of us that come and say, hey, I did all this stuff. And Jesus will still say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because you practice lawlessness, which means this, you don't serve me according to my word. You serve me how you want to serve me. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. You serve me the way you want to serve me. And so we've seen for generations, people get on TV and, and, and say, I just want to thank the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet when you watch their life or you listen to their music, none of it glorifies God. None of it. And yet, oh, see, that's lawless. You know Jesus, but you refuse to practice his word. And if you would practice his word, you would understand there is a standard of living that Jesus asks us to live. And it's carried out throughout the New Testament church. Man, the New Testament church was very, very different than the American church that we see. Paul literally asked people to stop coming to the church when they were given over to sin. He said, hey, you got to clean that up. And if you're not willing to, don't come back to the church. I give you over to Satan. I wonder what would happen in America if we started doing that in our churches. People will go to social media. This pastor's mean. They don't accept people here. But read your Bibles. That's what they did back then. And they didn't do it because they're mean. They did it because we're trying to build a household of faith. And there must be a standard for you and your children. There must be a standard in your life. And so Jesus warns us again, beware, beware that just because you go to church doesn't mean that you are part of the household of faith. Something needs to happen. And so today we read a scripture in 1 Kings 
about Solomon. And what I love about this scripture is God is dealing with Solomon from a generational standpoint. He's dealing with Solomon based on something, listen, that his father did. He's coming to Solomon and he's talking to him about his purpose and his destiny, but he ties it into his father, David. See, what I want you to catch today, y'all, is that your relationship with God is not just about you. And this American culture that we in right now in this day and age, they're trying to make everything about you. It's all about you. But see, the decision to serve God, what I, want, what I need you to catch today is what was the heart of Joshua. I'm going to serve God. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Your relationship with God is a generational decision. See, some of you are serving God thinking it's just about you. It's just about you. But I'm here to tell you different. The decision that you made to serve Jesus is not only going to affect you, it's going to affect your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. See, there's been a lot taught about generational curses over the last 50 years. And we love to hear about generational curses and, and oh, what does that mean? What the devil and his curses? Oh, and we love to get into kind of that stuff. And it, it's, it's clear in Scripture in the Old Testament that those things exist. But let me break down what a generational curse basically is. It basically means this. Your sin is going to affect your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. Your sin. But guess what? So is your uh, decision to follow Jesus. It's going to affect them all. But here's what we see. Some of you don't protect that relationship with God. Some of you don't protect that decision to serve Christ. Some of you take it so lightly that it's not even spreading into your household. Listen, the way this thing is supposed to work is if I just get around you, I get God. (laughs) Much less if I live with you, I get God. But what I see in church many times is people that don't have God, what they have is behavior modification. I see some people that learn the rules of what a Christian is supposed to be like. And when you live a life that's fake like that, come on, somebody, let's just call it what it is. It's fake. What what begins to happen is this. Your heart never changes. Only your behavior does. And when your behavior doesn't change, I mean, when your behavior changes and your heart doesn't, there's no lasting change. And so what we have is faith that is not spreading to the next generation. It's not going towards anybody else. Why? Because so many of us just think this relationship that you made, this decision that you've decided to serve God, it's just about you. But it's not. It's about way more than that. And and if you flip that, like I said, your decision to live as sin is also a generational decision. See, you're over here sleeping with your girlfriend thinking, well, that's my decision. That's all I'm doing. But what you don't understand is that sin's affecting your kids. Right now, it's affecting your kids. And it's going to make it even harder for your kids to find Christ because they're following your example. Listen, guys, in the last two months, myself and Pastor Willard, we've done about six funerals in the last two months. And funerals are tough, man. Funerals are tough because not everybody's funeral that we're doing lived a life that was pleasing to God. And, and let's just be honest, right? Let's just be honest. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. Can I get an amen on that? Now, we as believers know that because of what the scriptures say. But if you just took out the scriptures, come on, it don't even make sense to think that we all make it to heaven. 
the guy that's over here being faithful to his wife, doing good things, building the, the house of God, helping people. He goes to heaven. And also the drug dealer that's over here burning girls, messing them up, hurting people. Oh, he gets to go to heaven too? That don't even make sense, y'all. Come on. But I go to these funerals, and many times it's people that don't, don't go to church here. Um, and, you know, I've, I got a call for somebody in the community that wanted us to do their funeral. And so I find out what, you know, they're into. And, man, my job is to always bring hope. You know, and I'm always reminded about the thief on the cross who in his last moment, even though he was a thief, even though he was in sin, in his last moment before he died, he cried out to Jesus and Jesus saved him. That's always my prayer for some of these guys that are getting shot up. They're getting, you know, in, involved in, these, in these, this madness out there. And that's what I try to, to preach from. But at the bottom of my heart, I know, I know. Why is this young person in this mess? You want to know what it comes down to? You want to know what it comes down to many times? A generational decision. That his dad made. His mom made. His grandmother made. That put him on this path of the streets of a hard life, of ripping people off, of violence, of divorce, of this and of that. And here's the beauty of what you're hearing today is this. You can change it all. God gives you the power to get off the path that your grandfather put you on, your grandmother put you on, your mother, your dad put you on. You can create a new path. But you better understand what Joshua says. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We started reading 1 Kings chapter 9 again, where Solomon, God is dealing with Solomon generationally. Why? Because that's how God deals with him, with him, with all of us generationally. You know, when God reached down and saved you, he wasn't just going, I'm saving you. He said, I'm saving you and I'm going to bless your kids and your grandkids and your kids after that. When God saved me, you know, it wasn't just about me. Listen, you guys have heard the story. I've told it to you time and time again. And the only reason I do is to, I like to stay close to my miracle. 19 years old, God saved me and, and spoke to me. I was reading the Bible, Southgate Library in the parking lot. Matthew 28 jumps out of me, go into all the world and preach the gospel. God gives me a vision of me standing on platforms in different countries and different things. 30 years later now, I've been to over 40 different nations, over 100 trips into these different nations. But you know what I didn't know was going to happen that God did? God knew I would take over 100 people with me on those trips. It was never just about me. It was about the people that I would get to take with me. People like Dale, people like Jesse, people like Jack, people like all, some of, so many of you here that went with me for the first time to another nation. Some of these people had even more destiny tied to that. Because you get a guy like, like Eddie Cardenas who comes to me with the Philippines and falls in love with a young woman there by the name of Chona. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Meets his wife on a missions trip with me doing the work of the gospel in the nations. What if God told me to go to the nations so that he could find his wife? See, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the people after me. Many of you know the story of my brother Vince. Same thing. Y'all better be careful coming on these mission trips with me. My brother Vince went on a trip with me to the Dominican Republic. And we're preaching and we're casting out devils and we're laying hands on the sick. And there's a young lady there that, make a long story short, he fell in love with. Her name is Wanda. A few years later, they get married and now they're planning a church in uh, Oceanside, California. How did it happen when he was on a trip with me? doing what God told me to do. Because see, here's the thing. When God called me to go to the nations, it wasn't about me. It was about the people that I would take with me. When God saved you, it wasn't just about you. It was about the people that you would introduce Jesus to as well. It's a generational decision. I look across this room. So many of you have, have had amazing experiences with me in the, in the mission field. And why is that so special? Because it was you obeying Matthew chapter 28. And some new people are going to come with us to Trinidad in a few months and get to experience that. 
But what I'm trying to get you to see is this. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It's about the relationship that you have with God going further than just you. You see, Jesus thought this way. Jesus was never about building a big church. Jesus wasn't even about reaching the masses. He only preached three and a half years. His focus in that three and a half years was 12 guys. 12 guys. He knew, I'm going to preach. I'm going to heal some sick folks. I'm going to cast out some devils. But man, I got three years to get what's inside of me in these 12 guys. So in that three and a half time period, that's what his focus was. Say, pastor, how do you know that? Because I know that when he had, when he had a church of 4,000 people, one Sunday he got up and looked over them. He said, oh, these people ain't here for the right reasons. Let me, let me preach a message for him. And he got up and he preached the message about if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. The whole church left. And here's what I love about Jesus. He went over to the 12 guys that were scratching their head and going, what's going on? He said, y'all want to go too? Because Jesus's focus was about getting what was inside of him into the next generation. And those 12 guys, actually 11 guys, because one of them didn't make it. There's always one. (laughs) Judas didn't make it, but those 11 guys turned the world upside down, upside down. We live in a world right now where we get saved and we rejoice because we're saved. Yes, Lord, thank you for saving my life. That's great. But can I tell you something? It was never just supposed to be about you. It was always supposed to be about you and the people that you bring with you, starting with our families, starting with our kids, starting with understanding that we've got to put the right values, not from our culture, but from the word of God in our children. But let me back up before you could ever do that. You must first do it for yourself. And this, guys, is where I feel like we've come short in the church because we are not seeking heart change enough. We are simply seeking life change. Heart change and life change are two different things. See, there's something for years in the church that has got people by, and that's behavior modification. That's modifying our behavior just enough to where we can consider ourselves saved. That's never been the goal. God is not just interested in you acting better. He's interested in you being better. See, because when you act better, guess what? You know where to act better at. So when you come to church, come on, somebody, you know how to act like a Christian. But when you go to Walmart, that's when the knives come out. Come on. And I'm mad at you. You probably should pack if you're going to the Florin uh, Road in Walmart. You pretty. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, don't go to that Walmart unless you can fight. All right. <laughs> you can't fight. There's, there's another one down the way over here. Go to that one. But if you go on to Florin, woo, you better be able to drop some dogs on somebody. <laughs> but my point is this. In church for too long, we've sought behavior modification. Let me learn how to act right. But here's the problem with that. When you go home and there's no heart change, the real you comes out. And that real you goes into your kids. And that real you is what your family is known for. So here's what we have. We have people that can come and be a part of our host team or our greeter team. And they're at church. God bless you. How you doing? Welcome. Glad you're here today. But when they go home, guess what their kids get to hear? You didn't clean that. You better get in and get your lazy beep. You better clean this beep, beep. <laughs> See what happened? The values that you're supposed to have, you don't have. So then you go on your social media, right? You go on your social media. Your social media should back up the values you say that you have. So Christian women shouldn't be putting on Instagram booty pics. There, I said it. I just said it. I just said it right there. Okay. 
Smile at me. Ooh, smile at me, church. It's all right. It's all right. If you're, if you're a Christian, where's the values that you are supposed to have? And see, what we have, people, is we have people that have modified their behavior but have not changed their hearts. What I want to draw your attention to is what Joshua said. He said, as for me. I know after that, he says household. And we're talking about this house, this series. But before I could talk to you about building your house, I got to talk to you about as for me. See, you got to go further than just seeking a changed life. You got to seek first a changed heart. There's too many people trying to seek a, a changed life. God, I'm tired of these streets. I don't want to be out here like this no more. You seek a changed life. And so guess what begins to happen? You pursue behavior modification. You pursue blessings, but you never give Jesus your heart. And so what we get is a bunch of Christians that think it's okay to be ratchet and righteous. I talked about that last week. No, it don't work like that. Mixture is wrong. We talked about, would you eat some brownies? Yes, but what if I put just a little bit of poop in there? You wouldn't eat them. There was a few dudes in the first service that I, I might give it a shot, Pastor. If I, I, I was real hungry. But see, that's the problem, right? We accept mixture so much to the, to the degree that, 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 that we mess up the things that God gives us. And so we've got to understand the first thing that must happen. Here's what I want you to walk away from today on this Super Bowl Sunday. I want you to walk away with this. I want your focus as you're building your house to be seeking a changed heart. Our focus in pursuing Jesus should be, Lord, change my heart, change me. Because see, if God can change your heart, listen to this, a changed heart will cause you to produce a changed mind. A changed mind will cause you to have a changed life. And a changed life will then give you a changed house. See, we want to skip to the end. I want to change life and I want to change life, um, tr- change house. I want my marriage to be on track. I want, my, I want my wife to get her act together. I want my husband to quit being lazy. I want this, I want that. And we just get all ahead of things. Wait a minute, if that's what you want, let's start first with this. God's got to change your heart. And we got too many Christians. They're not interested in their heart changing. Guess what they're interested in? Blessings. We want the blessings. Pretty good. Sound pretty good, huh? Sign me up for that. Never mind. Don't do that. We want the blessings. We want the good stuff. Good. God wants to give you those things. But this is where we got to understand what do you start with? You got to cry out to God to change your heart. The Bible is very clear that the heart of man, when left alone, it's wicked. It's wicked. I know this generation tells you this. Just trust your heart. No, don't do that. That's the last thing you need to do. Unless God changes your heart. You see, we we live in a generation that loves to preach about loving yourself, trusting your heart. You do that, you're going to be led down a road to destruction. We need to learn how to trust God to change our heart. And when God can change our heart, that's when we'll produce a changed mind. A changed heart will do this. It'll cause you to continue to go after God and renew your mind to his word so that you can be transformed, as it says in the book of Romans. And when you're transformed, that means that's when your life will change and a changed life will give you a changed house. But here's the thing I want you to catch today. Only God can give you a changed heart. See, sometimes we think experience do it. Well, you know, when I went through that divorce, man, things were just different. Yeah, you probably learned some things, but only God can change your heart. Well, you know, when we had that miscarriage, man, that really changed a lot for us. It maybe it did, but only God can change your heart. Look at Jeremiah chapter 24, 6 and 7. 
He says, for I will set my eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land and I will build them and I will not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. But listen to what he says here. Then I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me again with their whole heart. See, what God wants to do is give you a heart to know him. Not a heart to get a better life, a heart to know him first. A better life will come if God can change your heart. It also talks about it in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 30. Ezekiel writes, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, there it is, and put a new spirit in you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes or my ways. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. See, this is what it's all about, guys. It all starts with a new heart. This is what you need. See, this is the problem with a lot of us, right? We think we have a sin problem. We think, well, you know, I just can't stop sinning. I still like to do this. I still like to do that. And we go and fall on our face, say, God, forgive us and da, da, da. See, and you keep dealing with that symptom of sin. But I'm here to tell you this. If you can just get a new heart, your desire for sin will begin to leave you. God will give you victory over that, but you got to seek a new heart first. And too many Christians are just seeking a better life. My brothers and sisters, only God can change your heart. And how does he do that? It's, it's really quite simple. Simple yet difficult. Simple in the sense of understanding how to do it. Difficult in the sense of actually doing it because it's going to cost you your life. In other words, to do these things, you're going to have to do one thing every day. You ready? You're going to have to die. Some of you go, what kind of church is this? What are they going to do, kill me? No, not die a physical death, but die to self. I know you'd rather be on your phone for an hour checking your TikTok even though you're a grown man, a grown man on TikTok. I don't know, something bad something, for an hour, okay? You could be on there for a little bit, but an hour, come on. You, even though you want to be doing that, you put the phone down and you read your word. That's dying to self. Even though you want to sleep a little bit, you get up and you walk your bedroom floor and you give God praise. That's dying to self. We need to remove the excuses of why we don't pray. It's not busyness. It's not you don't have time. It's you don't want to die. We all can take time to spend with God every day. Why don't we? You don't want to die. But the, here's the problem. To have a changed heart you need to do some things here. Let me give you the first one. Number one, if you want God to change your heart, you ready for this? You ready for this? You want God to change your heart? It's quite simple, but difficult to do. Spend time with God every day. It's been this way throughout the ages. You'll continue to hear me say it. My messages are always peppered with this basic truth, prayer, word, and worship. Spending time with God in prayer changes your heart. Reading God's word changes your heart. David said it best. I hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You're over here. Stop trying to stop getting off porn. You're over here trying to quit smoking weed. You're over here trying to bare knuckle it, not to be sleeping with people that ain't your wife. You're over here trying to do it all on your own. But David just said this. Hey, man, get God's word in your heart. Get God's word in your heart and you won't be on them paint those porn sites anymore. You won't be doing that stuff anymore. And you go, amen, but then you don't read your word every day. You got to make a decision. As for me, as for me, I will serve the Lord. 
and I will spend time with God. Why? Not because I want him to bless my business. Not because I want him to bring me a good life, because I want him to change my heart. That's why. Can we start there? Remember, you change your heart, you'll change your mind, then you'll change your life, then you'll change your household. But we got to start first at changing us. And it's through prayer. It's through his word. It's through worship. You know what worship is? Worship is getting yourself off of you, off of your problems, off of your circumstances, and just thanking God for who he is. Blessing God because of what he's done for you. Thanking him that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you can one day go to heaven and that you can have heaven on earth. Just worship him for that without asking him for anything, without needing anything from him, but just turning on some music and saying, God, I love you. That changes your heart. Now, again, if you do it one time, it won't change your heart but you develop daily habits of spending time with God like this, your heart will get soft and your heart will change. Now, why do we need a changed heart? Because if your heart doesn't change, this is a word for some of you, your marriage ain't going to make it. She's on the verge of leaving you right now. You need a changed heart. You need to change heart. He's on the verge of leaving you right now because you're so mean and bitter and nag all the time. Do I need to go on? You need to change heart. Somebody said, keep going, pastor. You didn't get mine yet. You didn't get mine yet. Keep going. Hey, here's a bigger one, right? You need to change heart. You know why? Because you can't raise sons the way you are. Your sons are going to hate you because you're so full of pride. You don't know how to say I love you. You don't know how to tell them I'm proud of you. You're so cheap. You don't want to spend money. Your kid wants a new pair of shoes. You go, those are all right. Kid wants to go to the movies. You don't need to see that. You're so cheap. Can I tell you something? You got a hard heart. You need a new heart. You got an ugly heart sometimes. So when God changes your heart, you see the value. It's never just about you. It's about everybody that is going to experience that heart. Let me give you a sobering thought. Without a changed heart, some of you have literally chased off the biggest blessings that God sent in your life because your heart is so hard. There were some people that were good friends to you. You ran them off because you're a jerk. You ran them off because you got a hard heart. Are you seeing why you need a new heart? Because one day you're going to have grandkids. One day you're going to have grandkids. And some of your grandkids are going to go, yay, I can't wait to go see grandpa. But some of your grandkids are going to go, dang, I hate going to his house. I had two grandfathers right? One of my grandfathers used to pick us up, take us to the park. Loved going to see him. I had another grandfather that every time I went to his house, he got mad at me for playing on his grass. He valued his lawn over his relationship with his grandkids. Some of you know grandparents or dads like that. Guess whose house I wanted to go over? The one that took me to the park. What I'm trying to get you to see is the value of a changed heart, y'all. And here's the thing about pride. Pride makes you think, I already got it. I'm good. I already changed my heart. Jesus came into my life. Keep seeking a changed heart. I've been in this thing 30 years, and I still want God to change more of my heart. And here's the thing. It's not about me. I want my heart to change for my kids. Now, listen, I am not the man I was when I started this journey. Pastor Tina is not the woman she was when I married. We have grown. Our hearts have changed. We're still evolving and changing, but it's only through spending time with God. Amen. Amen? Let me give you the second thing. Number two, you want God to change your heart, you got to remove and you got to resist sin. Remove it. Remove it. Remove it. If you can't stop sleeping with your girlfriend, you can't stop sleeping with your boyfriend. 
either put some boundaries up, get some accountability, or remove it. That's how bad you got to want a changed heart. Nothing will change your heart like making decisions to have a changed heart. Some of you go, yeah, I want a changed heart, but I'm going home tonight and I'm going to be with my girl. Your heart ain't never going to change like that. If your heart's going to change, you got to remove sin, which means there are going to be some places you can't go anymore. Some things you don't do anymore. Like you may not be able to go watch the Niner game with your friends anymore. Because you know how them Niner fans be drinking, y'all. Y'all know, you already know. You already know. <laughs> nah, Raider fans are the worst at that. I got to admit, I got to admit. And so you might have to watch the game by yourself next to the NFL season, you know? Because I don't do that no more. I want to remove anything that gets me acting a fool. So I got to make some moves. I, gotta, I can't hang out with this person. I can't do this. So you remove sin from your life and then you resist sin. Why? Because sin is always coming for you. It's coming for me. It's coming for you. What do we have to do? We have to resist it. Temptation's going to come, but we have to resist it, not give into it. Nothing changes your heart than your actions that are moving towards God. And the last thing is this, obedience to God's word. What did Jesus say was the big difference between the man building on the rock and building on the sand? He heard the word and he did the word. Nothing changes your heart more than obedience to God. Because what does that show? It shows who is Lord. It shows you who's God. Can I just tell some of us in this room today, Jesus is not your Lord. Can I tell you who's your Lord? Not Satan either. You're your own God. You're your own God. You do what you want to do. You spend the money the way you want to spend it. You do the things you want to do and that's it. But I'm telling you this, serving yourself as God is simply an idol. God's not going to share his throne. Obedience to him shows him that I see him as the Lord, as my king. Softens my heart. And when I have a changed heart, everything changes. Listen, I'm very sensitive right now to the fact that there are many single moms that have been holding it down. And maybe some of you aren't even single moms, but you're, you're a Christian and your husband isn't. And I know there's people that always say, well, pastor, what do I do? My husband's not a Christian. You know, how do I, how do I have these values in our house? Well, Apostle Paul basically said it this way. If you would just allow God to change you, God will change your husband. But you know what we see many times? We see many wives beating their, beating their husbands over the head with a Bible. Come on, you need to come to church. You know, don't say it like that. Say it's sweet, amen? You know, we, we, got, we got a lot of, I just want my husband to come to church. And, you know, they're just so, so on them. But hey, Apostle Paul said it like this. No, listen, if you just change, your husband will see the change and he'll change. Guess what it starts with, ladies? It starts with you. So start, before you invite him to church, how about you start being nicer to him? Smile at me, come on. How about you make love to him a little bit more often? Your husband I'm talking about. Come on, smile at me. Just be, I lost some of you ladies right there. No, nope, not doing that. How about you be sweet a little bit? How about you let him see what Christ has done in you? How about you show him that you're not a bitter woman no more? You're not an angry woman no more. How about you? How about he just begin to see the change in you? I guarantee you it'll spread. See, the way it's supposed to work is when you encounter me, you're going to get God. When I encounter you, I should be getting a little bit of God. And think about this. If I live with you, I should be living with a little bit of God in my life. But some of us, we live with people and we get a lot of hell. We got to change that, y'all. We got to change that. Spend time with God, remove and resist sin, and be obedient to his word. As for me, guys, it all starts with us. It all starts with really changing, not just modifying your behavior. Because it should not be that the same tongue that prays in other tongues and worships God in church, you should not be cussing out your wife. 
should not be cussing out your husband. Should not be cussing out your kids and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. We've got to change these things. Why do these things happen? They happen because we need a changed heart. And a changed heart is the key. I really pray for uh, the couples here. I hope you sign up for our uh, marriage conference that's coming up Friday night. It starts at 7 uh, and it'll go to about 9, 9.30. And then Saturday, it'll start from 10 a.m. to about 6 with lunch break in the middle and stuff. It's going to be powerful. But one of the things to position you as we're going into that is I want you to leave here saying, Lord, as for me, as for me, change my heart. Change my heart. Your kids deserve to be raised by a woman and a man that have been impacted by Jesus Christ to where their hearts have been changed. This is a generational thing. Jesus saved you for the great things he's going to do in other people. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. Because remember, there's two houses you're building. You're building your house and you're building God's house. But before you can build any house, you got to build you. And we got to deal with the hidden issues of our life. And I'm telling you today, I felt that real strong. You're not dealing with a sin issue. You're dealing with a heart issue. And if God can change your heart, your marriage can make it. If God can change your heart, your kids will come to Christ. Your husband will come to Christ if you for real get saved. If we can see God really change your heart, your love. See, here's the thing I told the first service today. Some of you aren't tripping bad enough that your grown kids aren't serving God. That should keep you up at night. To know that one day you'll die and you'll go to heaven and your little mijito won't make it in. Knowing that he knew about Jesus, he just refused to serve him. He wanted to do it his way. Well, I just don't see it like that. I got my own relationship with Christ and all that. No, you, the Bible, Jesus said, I never knew you because you practiced lawlessness, which means I never knew you because you didn't do it according to my word. You did it by how you felt. And the way you felt was I could love Jesus and I could love these women in these streets. I can love Jesus and I can love this marijuana and, 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 and get drunk all the time and not be sober-minded like the word of God says. See, Jesus is going to say to you, Depart from me. I never knew you. Because what it all comes down to is his word. And you can't build a household of faith unless you're a person of faith. And a person of faith has a standard of living that comes from this book. A person of faith has a heart change, not just behavior change. They have a heart change. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store. And you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.